0: Well, we, 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 we'll try to get started here because we have uh, definitely today, like none of the other days, we, we actually have more material than we can reasonably uh, uh, try to get through. But we're going to try to do it anyways. Um, and let me just say something about... Um, uh, Chapters four and five, in particular, but the the book of Revelation, generally too, right? If 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 you get, it's the easiest book, really, in the Bible, to get lost in the weeds, uh, right? And so, uh, you 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 want to be sure that you know exactly what this image is, or exactly what that. Image is, and you want to be really, really, really sure that you have all of that nailed down, well, then you are going to be really, really disappointed and, and often really, really frustrated. However, on the other side of that e- equation, And this is really important to keep in mind. If what you are asking yourself is what's the big picture message of the book of Revelation or Revelation chapter 4 and 5, like we're on today, for Christians living in 2023, The answer to that question, as we'll see from this morning, is simply crystal clear. You cannot miss it. It's right on the surface of things. It's it's relatively obvious. And so the broad takeaway that you are supposed to have um, as a believer is not at all difficult uh, to grasp and and to lay hold of. Um, Let me open us with prayer, and then we'll get right into our our text. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, be gathered together around your word. Ask, Lord, that as we consider chapters 4 and 5 that are designed to be deeply encouraging to people in difficult circumstances. I pray that we would find them to be exactly that, that we would find these words to be deeply encouraging to us in our present circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be individually culturally and we ask for this in Jesus name. Amen. Well you see if you have the if you have the outline from the that were laid out in the back um, uh, the text is divided up into a number of, uh, of, of, of sections, um, uh, following the divisions in, uh, in, the, in the Greek New Testament. And in the Greek New Testament, unlike the um, ESV, uh, verse 1 is a paragraph break all by itself, and that's why I have verse 1 as the introduction, standing all by itself. And I, I will just read the text as we arrive at the next section. So I'm not going to read the two chapters Uh, up front, which in some ways would be a helpful thing to do, but um, for the sake of the fact that we're almost certain to run out of time, we'll just dive into it and take it section by section. So the opening verse. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here and I will show you what, may, what must take place after this. Now there's a lot of discussion over the years about what little phrase after this means. So what is he talking about? Some say, well, after the church age or after some other very, very particular thing and, and I am virtually, absolutely persuaded um, uh, that, what, uh, that, that Greg Beale has this right. And so that what's going on here is something as simple as this. After this vision of the seven churches, I got another vision this time in heaven. So the after this is after this vision came this vision. So I'm just going on to the next vision. It, it, it's, not, it's not a time sequence uh, so much as it is a, a vision sequence. So that the sense of things is to be that the time sequence hasn't moved. In other words, the picture of the seven churches and the picture of, of what we're going to see happening in heaven those pictures are taking place simultaneously they are covering the same period of time which is precisely why the visions in 4 and 5 are so immensely practical because they are they're giving us a perspective on what is actually the case over and against what seems to be the case for you as a Christian, when you get up in the morning and look out your window. Because when you do that here in America, what do you see? Well, you see all kinds of of things. Like on a day like today, we'll come back to this in a, in, in a few minutes, but but in America, in America, on a, on a you know this we're we're getting late into the NFL season, you know where where things are taking shape. In, in America, NFL football seems much much larger and much much more important than Jesus. Just a, it's, a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean it, 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 it has massive coverage. As I've said many times before, I mean you would be a tremendously wealthy person. If you could just make the amount of money that they that they spend each week putting together the opening sequence, for Sunday night football, that that little thing that they produce every week—that high tech, high, just amazingly energetic introduction—I shudder to think of what that costs to produce, and they do that week after week after week. And and so, if, if you live in America, it's. I mean, NFL football just has to almost certainly strike you as a big thing. And there's, there's, there's nothing that would lead you to believe that Jesus is anywhere near that important. And hence these visions that tell you, yeah, but let me warn you, that is incredibly incredibly misleading um, as to the nature of reality. Uh, vision of the Heavenly Throne Room, verses 2 to 11. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion and the second living creature was like an ox, and the third living creature was the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. And in four living creatures, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come." Uh, Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and for your will they were, and they were created. So it's just a vision of verse verse 2 and 3. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow, um, and there's 24 thrones and the four living creatures. And uh, now, off to the side of something like uh, this, you'll you'll see in the In the Greek New Testament, all kinds of cross-references. And in this whole section, especially, though, when we get to chapter 5, the key Old Testament background to these visions is found in the opening chapters of the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 1 and 2, but then, more important even than Ezekiel, and everything here, basically, especially in chapter 5, is structured after a paragraph from Daniel chapter 7. I mean, he if I was if if I was a computer savvy like Pastor Don is, I would have put together a wonderful slide and I would have it up here and I would show you how the text of of uh, Revelation chapter 5 dovetails with that paragraph in the middle of Daniel chapter 7. It is quite striking, and it is, its it, you, you don't have to be a great New Testament or Old Testament scholar to see it. Uh, when somebody lays it out for you, like Greg Beale and some others do, it is quite striking. And so he is letting us know that he is throwing—he's showing us a vision of the prominence of God over the created realm. And the, and the application of, of why that is so important is experienced nicely in, uh, in something like Psalm 11, 3 and 4. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 11, 3 and 4, this is a this is a great word. Uh, uh, we've talked about this several times on, uh, on 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 Wednesday nights. Recently, we're in the Psalms on Wednesday night, and we actually did this Psalm uh, a number of weeks ago on uh, on Wednesday night. And um, I, I've mentioned uh, I've mentioned many many times. And I'll mention it. You know, uh, now I I, I follow uh, this guy, Albert Moeller, in the briefing where he covers major news stories every morning. And and from a Christian point of view, most of what's going on in the world is tremendously discouraging. Uh, Things are moving uh, not in a hopeful direction, but in a discouraging direction, in a morally backwards direction. And so that's what you see over and over and over again. And, and the psalmist, David, in Psalm eleven and verse three, he is ready for us on, on that. So when you are you're listening to things like that, you're reading the paper, you're feeling discouraged, everything seems to be going to hell in a handbag. Um that is Psalm 11.3. When the foundations have been destroyed, what will the righteous do? So when the foundations of truth and morality and hope are all laying in ruins, what in the world are the righteous Supposed to do. And the answer of David. Is in the next verse. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test. The children of man. My wife just pointed out to me, I think it was yesterday or the day before, you know, I had this eye surgery. And so in one sense, my eyes are completely different. And so she said to me, but you're still squinting. You're still squinting. Well, that's because now I can't see things that are close to me. I used to, I used to squint to see things that are far away. And now until I get my new glasses, I'm stuck uh, squinting to see things close to me. Now I say that because all the scholars are very very confident about this. When it talks about God God's eyelids there in verse 4. The idea is God is squinting. That is God is taking the most careful look at what people are doing. It looks like Nobody's paying any attention. It looks like things are running wild. Things are running amok. You may wonder whether God is paying any attention to reality at all. And David says, I assure you, he sees it all. His eyelids, he's squinting and taking a very close look at what everybody's doing. And I can assure you, That nobody's getting away with anything. But the important thing to see here is what David says is when the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? Well, he says, here's what they ought to do. They need to remember who is still on the throne. They need to remind themselves of that. When the foundations have been destroyed, what will the righteous do the Lord is in his holy temple. And that is what is going on in verses three, 2 and 3 of, of Revelation 4. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was in heaven. And upon the throne one was sitting, and the one sitting was like a jasper, jasper stone in appearance. Like Sardis, a rainbow all around the throne. Like the appearance of an emerald. And all around, well, we'll just stop there. He said, just consider the one seated on the throne. You look out and everything is a mess. And he just says, but remember... Remind yourself of who is on the throne. See, This is taken simultaneously with Roman Empire pressing in against these first century churches. They have no power. They have no political influence. They are vulnerable in the extreme. And he says, but let me show you reality from a different perspective. Your father in heaven is is absolutely on the throne over all of this. Now, if you see that and believe that, what will happen? You'll calm down. Like, oh, oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. Verse 4, consider the 24 elders. And all around the throne, 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, 24 elders si- sitting, having been clothed with white robes, and upon their heads 12 gold crowns. Now the scholars argue Profusely in a whole handful of directions on this, but frankly, I'm not overly sympathetic with the various uh, arguments uh, because it just seems—it seems to me, from the mention of the clothed in righteousness and the gold crowns upon the head, when you've just finished the letters to the seven churches that talked about conquering, 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 conquering. that that pretty clearly and the imagery is not that difficult to get at. Uh, There's mention of elders in the Old Testament representing the people of God and 24 elders in the book of Revelation. Uh, It doesn't seem like much of a reach to have something in mind like the 12 tribes of Israel plus the 12 apostles of the new covenant era, 24 representing the... People of God in glory, and there they are—the people of God in glory, uh, uh, worshiping before the throne of God, who is there. We won't take the time to look it up, but the Isaiah twenty-four twenty-three passage just is a a, a place where the people of God are spoken broadly of broadly by Isaiah as elders. So it's just—it's just the people people of God. The elders are there, and then there's a background of the mention of 24 elders uh, amongst the Levitical priesthood out of uh, the book of Leviticus. And so, broadly speaking, uh, the 24 elders, the people of God, uh, worshiping the 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs, plus the New Testament uh, apostles, the people of God uh, eventually find their place In heaven, some of them already there. Um, uh, Consider the majesty and um, the majestic calm. Um, uh, Revelation 5 through 6a. And from the throne there were proceeded lightnings and voices and thunders and seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne as a sea of glass like crystal. Uh, Now, the first part of that is quite straightforward, right? The one seated on the throne is majestic and mighty, lightning, thunder, voices, overwhelming presence, um, you know, you look like you have no power. Well, let me tell you, there is power in your corner, and that power is is, is seated on the throne. the The image that there's uh, quite a lot of debate over here, uh, but again, I'm 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 confident that somebody like Greg Beal has this has this right. Uh, first half of verse six, and before the throne as a sea of glass-like crystal. In the Old Testament, uh, the sea is never a friendly place. It's a terribly dangerous place. And remember, the, the Old Testament is constantly, constantly, 635 allusions possibly in the book of Revelation to Old Testament texts, so Old Testament categories are in his mind. But you don't even need to just remember something like that. When we get to Revelation chapter thirteen, where does the beast come from? He rises up out of the sea. Um, it is a deadly, dangerous. It's a deadly, dangerous place. My brother was just talking to me about. Uh, he's reading this book. Um, about uh, early missionaries up in his region. And uh, and one of the early missionaries up there a couple of centuries plus ago, which the Central Terrier in British Columbia, 250 years ago, there was virtually no one up there. A few native people here and there. Well, he was up there trying to work with those people and learn their language. And he had heard that there were native people over on what we now call the Queen Charlotte Islands. Um, The Queen Charlotte Islands are, in the fall, the fourth roughest crossing in the world. So it's it's, it's right up there like with Cape Horn and things like that. In, In the fall of the year, the Queen Charlotte Islands, the fourth roughest crossing in the world. So they often have to, uh, my, my brother tries to uh, deer hunt over there, and you, have to, you, you take a ferry ride uh, over to it, and it takes hours, even in a ferry, to get there. Well, this missionary, 200 and some years ago, he would take a day and canoe across it. And just hope that the water didn't rise up against him. So he'd wait for a calm night. And then he would throw his canoe in that water and head west. Knowing this is a really dangerous thing to do. The sea is a, a really dangerous, deadly phenomenon. And he kept making it back and forth. But all of that to say, that's the image. So do you see what a comforting image this is? In heaven, where God is. The sea's dead calm. There's no danger in it. There's nothing ominous about it. It's, a, it's, it's, it's just glass-like crystal. In other words, in God's sovereign hand, that which you fear the most, all that stuff that might rise up out of the sea at you. From God's perspective, if you remember that God is on the throne, it's not that nothing bad will happen to you here on earth. It is this. Even those evil forces, they are not out of control when it comes to the God who is on the throne. Uh, the, the darkest things are like a sea of glass, like crystal. He is not intimidated by them, He's not struggling with them, He's not working overtime to hold them in check. He is in absolute, complete, sovereign control over the whole thing. So just calm down. Just calm yourself down when you remember who is in the heavens. Uh, Consider the four living creatures. Um, This takes us pretty much all the way to the end with some other things uh, thrown in. Uh, this is a little bit more difficult, other than there's no accident, right, that the creatures represent uh, the ox, considered to be the strongest of the domestic animals, the lion, uh, the king of the beasts, man, uh, creature created in the, the image of God, the eagle being the strongest of all of the birds. Uh, the idea is that all animate life, all animate life is subservient to the living God and prone to worship him. These beasts have six wings. That image is simply borrowed straight out of Isaiah chapter 6 where the seraphim, these angels, have these six wings and go up. You're, you're in, it's, it's just a way of telling us We are in the same throne room here that Isaiah was looking at back in Isaiah chapter 6. God hasn't moved. He's absolutely, he's absolutely, positively still there. Uh, And therefore, you can can calm yourself down. Um, uh, There's a great, Little repetition at the end of this text, and when you uh, when you read over it again and again, you'll you'll be struck by it, where God is described by this little participial phrase two verses in a row, the one living forever and ever, and when they shall see the when the, when the living creatures shall see. Glory and honor, thanksgiving, they'll give to the one seated upon the throne, to the one living forever and ever. The 24 elders shall fall before the one seated on the throne, and they shall worship the one living forever and ever. And they shall cast their crowns at his feet. Um, The one living forever and ever Uh, perspective on on time the one living forever and ever Um, anything about the, the present world is that nothing lasts in it nothing at all lasts um I thought of this song without remembering that she had a verse uh, about Christmas in it. Um, Joni Mitchell in an album near the end of her career actually wrote a song called Chinese Cafe uh, which is about reconnecting with a friend in middle age when Mitchell wrote this song. She was 39. Years old, and um, and in the third verse, it's it's Christmas, and she wrote she wrote this. Christmas is sparkling out on Carol's lawn. This girl of my childhood games with kids nearly grown and gone, grown so fast, like the turn of a page. We look like our mothers did now, when we were those kids' age. And then the line that runs over and over again through this song, nothing lasts for long. Nothing lasts for long. Nothing lasts for long. And she jumps back and remembers being a teenager, down at the Chinese cafe. We were spinning on our dimes that we put in the jukebox. Well, Joni Mitchell, last month, turned 80. November 7th, she turned 80 years old. Um, Nothing lasts for long. Nothing lasts for long. But John says, oh, but God does. And anyone in anything intimately, personally connected with him, he is the one living forever and ever. You're, you've come to worship and come to be connected with the one living forever and ever. If that's true, If that's true, how blessed should we understand ourselves to be? That our connections in heaven remind us, no, no. All this stuff that's going on around you that's out of control. But you worship the one living forever and ever. The final final verse of chapter 4 Worthy is the Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and through your will they were and they were created. Uh, Worthy are you, the Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Well, because you created everything. And and then a little Hebrew parallelism where you say the same thing twice in slightly different terms. They came into existence because you created them into existence. It's all there because of you, and that's why we worship God. Uh, I mentioned the Wall Street Journal a number of... It's probably been a couple of months, I think, that was early on in the... uh, in the NFL season where two big themes got married together, namely the NFL and Taylor Swift. And there on the and there on the cover of the Wall Street Journal is is, is Taylor Swift watching a Chiefs game. People worship that woman. They worship that woman. Mostly for her relational stability. Um uh, you know she's She's, 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 she's 32 on her 12th or 13th partner um, but they but but we worship such things we worship such things we end up worshiping the most trivial silly stupid things imaginable uh, we really do and 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 John is telling us, and that's a big mistake. Because you can be among those who worship the one who created all things, the one who lives forever and ever. Like, whoa. Yes. And that's what that first vision is about. This is where you actually live. This is what's going on. This is the ultimate nature of reality. Don't you forget it. Just because when you look around outside, it doesn't look like that right now. Of course it doesn't. It never has. That's why I'm telling you about this vision in heaven. That ultimate reality has a king sitting supreme being worshipped all around, and don't you forget it. Um, The book. The book, verses 1 to 5. And I saw upon the right hand of the one seated upon the throne a book having been written before and behind, having been sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel announcing in a great voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose its seals? And no one was able in heaven, nor upon the earth, nor under the earth, to open the book, nor to see it. And I was crying much because no one was found worthy. To open the book. Nor to see it. And one from the elders said to me. Don't cry. Behold. The lion. The one from the tribe of Judah. The root of David. He conquered. To open the book. And. It's seven Seals. So again, lots of discussion. So what is the book? What's in the book? What are we talking about with the book? Well, the rest of the book of Revelation, I think it makes me, I think it, it, it makes it fairly plain, right? When these seals start to open... Uh, they're definitely very judgment oriented, right? Judgments start to arise and flow uh, forward, uh, and the, but the, and the judgments are are on uh, people living on the earth, uh, and so uh, the view that I'm most attracted to is simply says the book the the book is the book is simply the history and future of human destiny. What's going to unfold? What's going to happen? Who, what, 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 how do things end? What, what is in the future? Who knows? You say, well, nobody knows. Well, no. There's, there's somebody who is in a position to know and to control it all. It is uh, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Um, uh, uh, You can see that John expresses if there's no one uh, looking out for what's going on around us, it's fearful, it's tearful. He breaks into tears because no one, no one is overseeing anything. And therefore you don't know what's going to happen next. And there's no wisdom involved. There's no Stability of any kind that you know of. It's a tremendously dark and intimidating uh, image. Uh, He goes on then to the lamb. Uh, The lamb, verses 6 and 7. And I saw in the midst of the throne the four living creatures in the middle of the elders. A lamb having stood as having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, having been sent into all the earth. And he came and he received from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And so there in that two verses, you know, we find another Trinitarian reference in John, right? Because we've mentioned that John, without any question, John has already established. When he mentions the seven spirits of God, you're supposed you and I are supposed to be thinking, Zechariah chapter four, the lampstands, um, the worship, the Spirit of God flowing out of that oil, and so we have the Lamb, we have the Spirit. And then we have the Father who is on the throne. They're all in these two verses sitting there. And, uh, and the picture is, so you've got the throne, and then you've got the four living creatures, and then you've got the 24 elders. So uh, up to this point, those that's that's the picture of heaven. So the throne with one seated upon it, and then the living creatures... And then the 24 elders, only now we're told that in, inside the 24 elders and inside the living creatures and right next to the throne is one standing as having been slain, Jesus, the crucified Jesus, standing at the center of of the center of everything. I remember our earlier reference. So right now, Jesus, Jesus seems to be small compared to American sports, compared to American politics, compared to international politics, compared to entertainment industry. Compared you compare it to whatever you want. Jesus seems small by comparison. But in the village in the in the vision, he's not small. Uh, the lamb who was slain is pressed in against the throne with God on it, the slainness of the lamb is a tremendously big deal. Isaiah 53, 7, uh, one of any number of images that uh, he could have referred to out of Isaiah 53, but um, he was pressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, the ultimacy of God in this, in the mention of the, the spirits, um, the ontological trinity, uh, in other words, there's no distinction essence-wise between the one on the throne, between the lamb who was slain, between the seven spirits systematic theologians refer to that as the ontological trinity Uh, the economic trinity Uh, there is relationship and there's even subordination and so in the economic trinity you have the son next to the father and it's the father who's going to hand him the book as if he got it from a higher source, which ontologically he didn't, but economically he did. That's how Christians have talked about the nature of God down through the centuries, and, and those who try to improve on it generally end up in camp heresy. So you kind of sometimes just want to leave well enough alone. Uh, So that's sort of the consensus way that you talk about this thing in light of the major uh, creeds and so forth. Um, And that's where the lamb fits in. And then the worship of the lamb by the inner circle and then the worship of the lamb by the outer circle. And we'll close off with with those two things because we're just about out of time. So verses uh, 8 to 10, this is the worship of the Lamb by the inner circle, which is all we know about so far is the inner circle, because that's all that's shown up in the vision so far. And when he received the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell before the Lamb, having each a harp gold bowls having been filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to receive the book and to open its seals because you were slain and you purchased for God by your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And having made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Now, there's a, there's a great deal that we could pause on for a long time here, but I just three things to notice uh, underneath the worthiness of the Lamb. Notice that the Lamb is worshipped precisely Because he was slain. That is the very thing that made it so hard for an ethnic Israelite to believe that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah. Namely, that he died on a cross. You can't have our Messiah killed on a cross by Romans. Messiah is going to kick the Romans to the curb, like we said last hour. You cannot have the Romans crucifying the Messiah. That can't be. And if you have no sympathy for them, if you've read some of the Old Testament, for confusion along that point, then you need to work on your sympathy. Because it is quite an an honest, almost an inevitable mistake. But the point here is how vastly different reality turns out to be from our expectations for the very thing that put them off and made it impossible for them to Jesus that to believe that Jesus is the Messiah is the thing that in heaven is exalted the highest about him He's there precisely because he was slain That's the big impressive accomplishment getting slain That's reality the slainness, the slainness of the Messiah, turns out to be just so huge, so huge. But then, on a very personal note, very personal note. Notice, uh, we we we've, we've got uh, we, we've got all kinds of. Uh, um, Backgrounds here by nations. Right, you got people with a Swedish heritage, people with a Norwegian heritage, German heritage, a few wonderful Dutch people. (laughs) Um, You know, we got a Scot right up front here. Uh, We've we've got Germans. We've got. We've got all kinds of of people, various backgrounds right? And he says, and the wonderful thing is that the Lamb purchases people from all those different backgrounds. He purchased, he bought people out of every tongue and nation and people. Now there's election stuff in here. I mean, he didn't buy all of those ethnic groups in total. This isn't a This is is not a declaration of universalism, quite the opposite. This is a declaration of particularism. He brought out from every tribe and nation and tongue. But if you are a believer, what a thing to think. This thing that's such of a big deal in heaven, Jesus being slain, he purchased me. I'm purchased. I'm a purchased person. I'm going to end up in the new heaven and the new earth because I was purchased back on the cross long before I was born. I was purchased. And long before I was purchased, my purchase was planned before the foundation of the world wow well if you think that way about yourself you're unlikely to slide into self-pity and it's easy to slide into self-pity circumstantially Uh, uh, I mean uh, my slide into self-pity is greased Uh, very very naturally go there very very naturally go there Uh, but there's no reason to, to be that way no no, no, if I'm dealing with reality, the only thing I could say about myself is blessed beyond belief. Really, frankly, literally, blessed beyond imagination. Because I really can't imagine forever and ever. I, I can't imagine a lot of things that are coming my way. He closes off with the final ring the outer ring, and uh, we're, we're out of time, so let me just, I won't even take the time to read it. He basically ends in, he brings in a countless number of angels who are, who are singing and worshiping, and what they're saying is, verse 12, worthy is the lamb, the one having been slain, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in the heaven, and upon the earth, and under the earth, and upon the sea, and all that is in them, all I heard saying to the one upon the throne, that is to the Father, and to the Lamb, the Son, blessing, and honor, and glory, and strength, forever and ever. Amen, and the four living creatures, they said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so all that gets added here to the worship of the elders and the living creatures is this myriad of angels around the outer ring. But they are added in. So this countless number of angels, but they're all excited about the same thing. They're all excited about Jesus, particularly his slainness. And that's reality. That's reality. That is far more real and lasting than any of the things that, that people right now all around us and that we are tempted to. To be so worked up about, so excited about. You see, in this in this vision, he just turns back, he says, Don't when when you're in the midst of your life, you're bruising, difficult, disappointing life, and it will certainly be all of those things. Remember, remember that ultimate reality. If you could look into ultimate reality, you'd see God on the throne. And you'd see the lamb, Jesus, having been slain at his right hand. And you'd see the Holy Spirit there and active, the seven spirits of God. And you'd see all creation worshiping him. And you'd see the people of God from down through the ages worshiping him. And you have been purchased to be a part of that. So you can be worshiping and confident. And you should be motivated to, as we've seen in the, every one of the letters to the seven churches entered, and the one conquering. So hang on. Hang on to Jesus. Because that's where ultimate hope is. Ultimate reality is centered in the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So hang on to him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we ask that you would encourage us with this vision of reality. May this be the ruling reality in our lives as all of the uncertainties and painful trials and disappointments come upon us, which they do and are and will. That ultimate reality would be found to be so encouraging to us that we would not forget it, that we would set our minds and hearts on it and plainly live off of it. In Jesus' name, amen.